Hello and welcome to My Camino, the podcast. I'm Dan Mullins. It's great to have your company. Firstly, it's now been a fortnight since I posted my interview with Monica Davis. And if you haven't listened to that interview, it's a snapshot of what the Camino can offer in terms of spiritual respite. The best part has been that everyone around the world, pilgrims, have been reaching out to help Monica, who is mourning the death of her daughter. Just to see the outpouring of support from pilgrims who have listened to the podcast and then reached out is heartwarming. It makes me so proud to be a pilgrim. So if you're a first-time listener, this is a podcast about the Camino de Santiago, a series of walks across Europe. Participants are pilgrims, and their ultimate destination is the Spanish city of Santiago de Compostela, where we're told the remains of Christ's apostle St. James are interred. 51% of pilgrims who arrived in Santiago this year were women. And I was talking to pilgrims this week, one of whom had only just returned from the Camino. Two had returned to Australia for the summer and they walk successive Caminos for the Spanish summer and then return down under for the European winter. And we talked about the healing of the soul afforded by nature and how we miss it. Aristotle, the Greek philosopher, said, In all things of nature, there is something of the marvellous. Well, my guest this week tries to provide some of the marvellous to the marvellous. Heather Waring runs what's called Women Walking, Women Talking. Heather's on the line from London. Hello, Pilgrim, and welcome. Thanks, Dan. It's lovely to be here. I've watched your work via social media for some time. I'm so pleased I'm going to have the chance to tell your story, but we need to provide first some background. Do you remember when you first heard about the Camino de Santiago? I do indeed. I uh, I read a book called Clear Waters Rising, um, and I've just I've just completely blocked on who wrote, who wrote that book, uh, and it's going to drive me scatty. Um, but I remember reading that book. What a what a bad moment to forget. Uh, Nicholas Crane. Nicholas Crane was a gentleman. There we are. It's come back, and he actually started in Santiago, and he did a walk that led him right across. Across Spain, right across Europe into Eastern Europe, and I think um, to in- Istanbul. And I was just taken by this walk, and I kind of filed it away until I was uh, in on the Inca Trail in Peru with uh, some uh, some ladies from a walking group that I run. And one lady and I, in particular, were walking along, chatting, and we realised we both had our wish to walk the Camino. And so we kind of decided after talking about it for a while, you know, let's, let's do this. Let's not just talk about it. Let's do it. At the time, neither of us could do it in one go because lifestyles wouldn't allow it. And uh, so we decided to start from the center of France and do a 1000 mile journey. So there you are. (laughs) Maybe I've given you a bit more than you wanted there. No, no, not at all, because I'm going to get to a stage in, in your life later in the interview where you needed to let go you needed some respite but first of all would you describe yourself as a spiritual or religious person definitely spiritual i'm not religious i was brought up in a religious household but i'm not religious no so so let me just stop you there okay many times in my podcast people have said to me oh i was brought up religious 
but I'm not religious anymore, but I'm spiritual. So what have you handpicked out of your religion that you keep to make you spiritual? That's a very good question. Um, I was brought up in Northern Ireland um, and I was brought up at the time at a really bad time in Northern Ireland, you know, what's called the Troubles. Yeah. And um, I saw a great divide, of course, between Catholic and Protestant. And I went to an all girls Protestant school and the four grammar schools in the city, two boys and two girls, actually worked a lot together to show that actually religion wasn't the issue behind the troubles. It was more of an excuse used often to explain it. And I saw and heard a lot of very bigoted views. And when I got the chance to leave Northern Ireland to go to university, I did, because I felt that I just couldn't stay in this very closed place And I guess religion, I mean, I was quite involved in sort of Sunday school and teaching Sunday school and things, but there wasn't a passion for me behind it. I think it was just more part of an expression of wanting to bring people together in communities, wanting to help people, wanting to bring out the best in people. And so when I went away to Scotland to university, I that religious bit, went really there was the odd visit to church at Christmas and weddings and things like that but I did really connect with um with the universe with um just something out there that was larger than me and my spirituality I suppose started to develop through my choice to be a coach and to get into personal development and then when it came to actually walking the Camino that spirituality just kind of developed further. And for me, it is a connection. And funny enough, you mentioned in your your introduction briefly about nature, and nature is really my spirituality. Nature, mother nature, and if you want a god, mother nature has become my kind of god. And it's her and it's the universe that I give thanks to when I stand on my yoga mat every morning. Um, And that kind of feeling of being connected to others, wishing wishing to have the best for the world. Last night on the way back from... um, just the corner shop, I I heard all these tootings and yellings. And there was one very angry young man, and I'm not sure why he was angry, but he was shouting and screaming at someone who'd stopped to let somebody out of the car. And I just felt so sad because I just felt there's so many huge things going on in the world that need our help and need our guidance and need our support. And for whatever reason, and I don't know what his life is like, it might not be a good life, but forever, for whatever reason, you are getting really upset and, and shouting at a complete stranger over something that seems very trivial. And that's just sad. Yeah, it is sad that he perhaps lacks the understanding that really... None of that stuff matters. Absolutely. You know, I just want to take the little girl out of Northern Ireland and place her into some of those churches on the Camino. What on earth do you make of it when you look up at, at those churches and see? <laughs> because you, you would have been in churches your entire childhood in Northern Ireland and, and known 
the, the, all of the background of, of, of the church, and you, you said your Protestant background, but he, he, you can walk into any church in, in Spain and see that extraordinary facade. What do you make of it? Oh, now, having walked halfway across France as well as Spain, <clears throat> my first introduction was the, to the Camino was from the French side, from Le Puy-en-Velay. And <clears throat> what I loved there was the fact that practically all the churches were open. Some of them were very, very small churches. One of my favorites is a church that's actually built into the rock. The floor of the church is actually curved because it is the rock. And it's a very small church. It's a very plain church. And of course, there are some abbeys, some beautiful abbeys as well. And again, on the French side, a lot of those abbeys tend to be um, more, tend to be plainer. And then I'm reminded of somewhere like Moissac, where this beautiful, beautiful kind of hand painting on, well, what looks like it is hand painted on the walls. It looks like wallpaper. And then you move into Spain. And when, when I first came to Spain, I found that a lot of the churches were closed and I was so disappointed. And I was also very surprised because the Spanish side of the Camino is the side that tends to be walked more. So surely all these pilgrims want to go and visit the churches. And I find also that on the Spanish side, and I think this is the reason why a lot of them are closed, is because of the gold. I mean, you walk into mm. some of the Spanish churches it takes your breath away with the gold of the altar. And beautiful as it is in many ways, I also, there's part of me that also finds it quite garish. And I'm sure there might be people listening to this who are thinking, what on earth is she saying? But quite garish. And also I, I find myself thinking too about the richness often of the church and the richness of the church in a lot of poor countries where the people are expected to give to the church and the people are often struggling to find money to keep themselves mm. going. Mm. And I just find that a strange kind of um, dichotomy. But the churches for me, I, I love the churches. I love the architecture. I love the history. I love the theater. I chose to go to mass in Santiago when I, when I got there not because of the religion, but because of my spirituality, because I wanted to say thank you. And I liked candles in, a, in many churches along the route to say thank you, to say thank you for the journey, to say thank you for my life, to say thank you for the, the privilege and the, the ability to walk, but also often to say prayers for people who are going through difficult times. So I suppose at times it might seem as if it's a little difficult. Uh, people listening might say, well, aren't you religious if you're lighting candles? But it's just a, it's a process. And I was having a discussion with another um, pilgrim recently who had been in Portugal and had heard of the death of a friend and she wanted to light a candle. And I don't think she's a particularly religious person either. But in many of the churches now, there are not real candles. You you put your money in a slot and a, a little kind of light lights up. Mm. And she was describing how robbed she felt 
of the ability to physically light a candle. And I totally got what she said. It's very different to strike a match or use a taper and physically light that flame. And in doing that, there's a kind of routine, there's a kind of a ritual. And putting money in a coin doesn't quite do it. Yeah, that's that whole Pentecostal thing, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, the, the spirit looking at the the the, the forwards of of the apostles, the apostles the the whole pentecostal mm. thing is quite quite a moving kind of system of belief if you like and mm. and, and you know heather you, you kind of doing a bit of research as i do for my interviews i i was thinking wow i can't wait to talk about your relationship with womanhood right and, and okay. you say as women we're nurturers by nature and we're happy to do our part, our partner's needs, our children's needs, our parents' needs, our friends' needs, all come before ours, which means that more often than not, we put ourselves last. And you say, since we take care of everyone around us, we don't really get that time to just sit, listen and be, to truly think about what we want without feeling guilty for doing so. So tell us about women walking, women talking. Okay. I, um, I burnt out in 2013, 2014 and was diagnosed with adrenal fatigue. I, without really consciously realizing it, had been following this sort of superwoman way of life. I'm of the generation where women could be in the workplace, women could strive for promotion, people could reach heights where maybe many women hadn't got to before. Women were also kind of putting off having children till later in life. I was 38 when I had my daughter, which, you know, by some standards is not that late, but mm, it's definitely yeah. not early 20s um and I didn't quite realize it but I was pushing 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 striving 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 um running a business you know doing all the being a mom being a a good wife being a lover being all these things and uh, <clears throat> I I got totally exhausted by it and I didn't realize, but when I look back on it now, I'd probably been pushing for about 12 years and I could see where the stress was building up. And, um, you know, when women were allowed to be in the workplace, um, because before that we didn't work, we worked, we worked during the war, of course, because the men all went away. But when, when the men came back, uh, women kind of went back to their more role of, of a mother and of a housewife. And then, you know, times changed and women started to go to work. But first, if they got married, they had to give up work. Definitely, if they had children, they had to give up work. Yeah. And the model, the model that we women were following in the workplace was a male model. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. And there's nothing wrong with being male either. I'm not a man-hating woman. Um, <laughs> you know, because, but that was the only model there was. Yeah. And I think what's really sad is we still don't have a good female-type model for the workplace. And And as I'm saying that, actually... It's not a female type model we need. It's a, it's a male female model. It's a consultative model that has the best of male energy and female energy together. 
But we haven't got there yet. We're getting there in some places, but women are still paid less. Women often still have less opportunity. And so I I burnt out. Now, I'd, I'd started in about 2006. Yes. Well, 1999, I did a long distance walk along the Great Wall of China and found that walking was my sanity. Uh, walking gave me the opportunity to get out into nature, to realize how small and insignificant I really was up against all the the huge vastness and glory of nature. And uh, that started my kind of connection with nature and but it didn't it didn't do enough at the time. So I was still doing all this kind of working too hard. So when I burnt out, I had to stop and I had to start to consider me and what I needed. And really, I needed to find me again because I didn't know who I was. And I through talking to mums at school gates, um, I think the women walking, women talking thing started because a lot of women didn't want to um, go to the gym. They didn't like the gym. They didn't want to go swimming because they felt they had to do their hair and their makeup afterwards. They They weren't runners, but they were concerned that they weren't doing any exercise. And so I started taking women walking and I'd already set up a women's walking group that came out of a two day, um, 38 mile walk in London. And, um, I find that when you're out walking, women will chat away and they will chat away about things that are completely superficial and fun and light. But at the same, but on the other hand, they will also talk about really, really deep issues and often with strangers that they don't know. So people who don't know their history, don't know their baggage. And the other great thing about walking is that you don't have to maintain eye contact. People are therefore more ready to open up and talk about what's really important to them. And one last thing before I give you a chance to say something else. No, no, I'm loving it. I'm absolutely loving it. Go on. (laughs) Well, I also find that, you know, people would say to me, why don't you do what you kind of try and do in the Camino? Why don't you do it in London? Why don't you just bring people together day upon day? But at the end of the day, as a woman, you go back home to your family, to your friends, to your setup. And there's usually still thoughts about what we're we having for dinner tonight, making dinner, washing dishes. If you've got children, there's demands of, oh, mom, I need my PE kit for school tomorrow. Or mom, can you uh, listen while I practice my cello? Or husband who who also wants to talk about things and might also, and there's nothing wrong with talking about things, and might also have demands. And there's no time for you. So I felt that women could really benefit from being taken away from the home environment, the work environment, the people and the things that maybe did cause stress and trauma and concern and anxiety. And for five days, take them away on a section of the Camino and give them a chance to focus on themselves while walking talking, meditating, um, enjoying 
history, food, wine of the of the time, enjoying time in the moment, enjoying group conversation if they wanted it. Just being able to focus on them. You say we define ourselves by the role we play as mothers, daughters, sisters and friends. Many, or indeed most, are fiercely proud of their role as women. I have here written Absolutely. why. Yeah, yeah. I, I have here written why do they need to explore their wider role to reveal more of themselves? But I think you just answered that. But then you say later, women are so committed to the well-being of those we love, we don't think twice about putting our needs second. So mm-hmm. I, I've written here. You're not talking about some Shirley Valentine campaign, are you? No, no one's suggesting no. you pack your bags and head off. But it's about finding time. And finding balance. Absolutely. And, you know, well, you will probably know this, Dan, but, you know, if you are, if you know who you are, if you're giving yourself some time, and when I say that, I don't mean hours and hours of time every day. In fact, I'm running a kind of theme this month all about self-care as we're coming up to a busy time of the year being Christmas. It's also very stressful for a lot of people. You know, self-care, I actually, I woke up this morning and on my way to the bathroom, I saw the sunrise and I stopped, went back, well, went back, got my phone and took a photograph of the sunset. And that was my self-care comment this morning, that it only took a moment to take a photograph of the sunset. But in doing that, I was in the moment with the sunset And to pepper your days with moments like that is giving yourself some self-care and giving yourself some time. And men need that too. I'm not saying none of this is necessarily women only. I choose to work with women at the moment because I can really connect with those women and I know what I've been through and I know and I fear a lot of them are going through it. But we all need to take care of ourselves. And it's that old thing on the aeroplane where, you know, put your own mask on first. And that is so true of meeting your needs. If you put your own mask on first, then you can breathe, then you can help others. If you meet your needs first, you feel that you've looked after yourself you're actually in a much better place to be there for others because you're not resenting the fact that you're giving to them before you're giving to you. Does that make sense? Absolutely, it makes sense. So now I want to take a step back and I want you to, if you wouldn't mind, define for me fatigue. Now, and what's more, you said that you could see that the stress was building up. You felt that stress was building up. What were some of the warning signs? What could some of my listeners say, hang on a second, Heather and Dan are talking about me? Okay. Um, Irritability is one of the signs. Uh, Quick to anger. So, um, you know, you get to a point where, uh, you know, you just snap and you snap more quickly than you might have done months before, years before. Um, just feeling that you have no energy. Um, I mean, my fatigue was diagnosed as adrenal fatigue. Yeah, and uh, what? Uh, uh, sorry, Heather, uh, just explain. Do you mind just explaining that? Well, yeah. I mean, adrenal fatigue is when you, when you're stressed 
Um, and again, for women, because we have less testosterone, um, we use our testosterone that we do have very quickly. And then we start to use our adrenaline and also to uh, build up our cortisol levels. And when we're stressed, we it's our adrenal glands that, in a sense, we're battering. Now, even do, you know, doctors, general practitioners, don't tend to diagnose adrenal fatigue um, because they, they're not taught about it in medical school. Um, and it's the nutritionists of the world and the naturopaths of the world who tend to be the people who help to diagnose it through a, a, a saliva test. But we're battering, really, what we're doing is we're just battering and battering and battering our adrenal glands. And I think there's a hidden epidemic of adrenal fatigue. And any stressed man or woman is probably, at some level, fatigued in their adrenal. But the other thing that I've discovered, Dan, is that adrenal fatigue hits different people in different in different ways. So the manifestation for me, and maybe this was because I was a walker, or maybe it was because that as somebody described to me, Heather, all your um, muscles are on alert. They never relax. Thankfully, they do now. But that was, and as a result of my stress and my fatigue, my muscles were on alert all the time. So the manifestation of adrenal fatigue for me was aches and pains in my body and, and pain when I walked too far. For other people, it's complete and utter exhaustion and all they want to do is sleep. Um, and for other people... It, it just it just manifests itself in a whole lot of different ways. Some people have similarities. Some people, it's all very different. And this is where kind of finding out what works for you is very important. And I introduce, when I work with women, I introduce women to a lot of different ways of looking after themselves. And I always say to them, some of these will work for you and some won't. It's not a one size fit all, fits all. But take what works for you and kind of put that together in your own kind of formula. And let's move forward with that. You mentioned earlier self-care a philosophy you developed in a sense after suffering the burnout and you talked about adrenal fatigue and you finally had some time to examine and reevaluate what you needed and what you didn't. Can I ask one thing you decided you didn't need? Ooh, that is a good question. <laughs> I'm trying to think if I decided there was one thing I did. I definitely didn't need the stress that I had. Now, as I'm saying that, I am aware that your listeners will be thinking stress. Well, don't we all have stress? And and yes, we do all have stress. We all, you know, unless we live somewhere idyllic um, and somewhere where probably we don't have great Wi-Fi connections. <laughs> except, but then you'd be stressed um, about no Wi-Fi. You might be stressed, but if you didn't know about it, you might not be. But <laughs> exactly. I think there are very few parts of the world today that where we live a life that there's not some stress. However, what I have now is what I would call short-term day-to-day stress. You know, there, there might be a deadline coming up and you're a little stressed about it. I'm putting myself, right, this is a good example. I'm putting myself through a two-day lowland leader course at the weekend, which is um, 
I don't feel I need to do, but I want to do just for my own my own development and um, my own continuous expertise. Um, and I'm really, really nervous. And I'm, I suppose I'm kind of stressed about it. Now, I've been leading groups of people for years. I know about group dynamics. I know about maps. I know how to follow maps. I lead on a lot of paths like the Camino where the signage is so good, you don't need to worry about maps. But I don't use a compass and I've never used a compass. And on this course, I need to use a compass and it's stressing me. Now, I think when I get there, I will probably be fine. And women I've shared my stress with have said to me, Heather, you're great at this stuff. Don't worry about it. That is short term stress. What I had before was long term, insidious, established stress that I carried with me all the time that made my shoulders up round my ears, that made me unable to sit still, that just was full in my body. And that's what I needed to get rid of. And that's what I let go of. It didn't happen overnight. I do not want people to think that this is a quick fix. It's not. If you are resonating with any of what Dan and I are talking about at this point in time and you think it's you, then I'm very happy to chat to anybody who wants to have a chat. But also, you know, go and seek out a, a naturopath or a nutritional therapist and ask them to do a saliva test on you and see if you have got burnout or drink. But be prepared for a journey that will slowly get you back to who you are. And that's the kind of work I do to get people, get women back to who they are and find that spark. But it's not a quick fix. Can anyone walk the Camino, do you think, Heather? I Yes, I think anyone can. I don't think everyone wants to. I would say that for for those who want to or for those who think they should do, that one of the most important things is to do some training and prepare. You, you will not, you know, if you're suffering terribly from blisters and aches and pains and you've got knee bandages and everything, now things can happen on the Camino that you need all of those things. But, you know, if you haven't done any preparation whatsoever, if you just think that, you know, by walking around a shopping mall, you can go out and walk the Camino, I would say you'll enjoy it a hell of a lot more if you actually prepare for it first. Is it safe for women? Oh, so safe for women. Now, you know, you say, I say that and I, you also hear stories every so often. And, and so life happens. But life happens in London and Sydney and all other parts of the world. Life happens in the countryside. Um, I have never felt scared, worried, um, alone really on the Camino, especially on the Spanish part. There's so many people walking. There's always people ready to help and support. Um, I've, I've never felt unsafe. How many Caminos have you done? I've done the, so the whole of the Camino Frances from the center of 
France. And then I've gone back and done sections of it. And this year I started in Saint-Jean and did two sections of it. Whether I'll ever walk the Camino Frances in its its entirety again, I don't know. I'm walking the the Camino Portuguese in June 2019, and I also have plans to do the Norte, probably in sections. I'm doing the the Portuguese from um, Porto in one go. Um, But for me, it's a balance of my own personal development and continuing to walk my own Camino paths, but also fitting in the work that I do and how, well, I I love to take women walking on the Camino. I love, I love to introduce them to the Camino and I love, I love to see their growth and their just embracing of this wonderful path or route, because as you said at the beginning, it's, well, they're all different routes that lead us through Europe. Um, I just think, you know, it's a wonderful thing to do. And as I, so I have only walked it in completeness once, um, but there are plans to do more. And I keep going back and doing sections. So how do you explain to people who, who you, you say, oh, I'm going back to the Camino this summer. I'm going back, oh, in a couple of weeks' time. And they say, what's all that about? How do you explain it to people? It's, no, I don't. Do I only find this in the Camino, what I'm going to say? I'm not sure I do. I was going to say it's a, it's, it's a magical quality. It's being in nature. It's, the spirituality of it. I talk about tapping into the wisdom and the stories of the path. I love the fact that on the Camino, so many people have gone before me and mm. so many people will come after me. Yeah, and yeah. I'm, walking, I'm walking in the footsteps of all these pilgrims. I'm walking in the footsteps of people who walked for various different reasons, some as penance, some, you know, um, as just wanting to find themselves, some who were following others, some with great religious pilgrimage. Um, and, and there's a real magic about that. And, and for my audience as well, tapping into the wisdom and the stories, I really like to bring that back to the women because women feel sometimes that, they've been told or it's been suggested maybe not in this in the actual words that they don't have a lot of wisdom and i think we i believe and i know we all have stories to tell and stories help to define us stories help to help us find our identity again so that's all those things are really magical about the camino but a lot of those things for me are magical also about the many ancient paths and we have a pilgrim's way in the united kingdom and it's actually our equivalent to the camino it's not half as well known and in fact i i did um you can start the Pilgrim's Way, and this was this was pilgrims walking to Canterbury, which is one of our main religious centres. And actually, from Canterbury, you it's it's one of those starting points yeah. on the Camino Act. Yeah, you know, yeah, that's you walk right. From Canterbury to Rome and down through Rome, you know. Um, so I, you can start the the 
the Camino, oh, the Pilgrim's Way. I'm getting my ancient paths mixed up. You start the Pilgrim's Way in a place called Winchester, and you can also start it in London. And I led a group of women on Saturday past walking from London, uh, eight miles out of London to the first sort of stop. And we will continue to walk to Canterbury and you can get stamps and a passport like you do on the Camino. There's a big anniversary coming up in 2021 and there is a real wish to elevate the Pilgrim's Way to more of the kind of elevation that the Camino has. They're going to have, they have a hard job and a, a hard, a long job to do because the signage at the moment is absolutely virtually non-existent. Um, even, even the cathedral where you start it, there's virtually no mention of pilgrims at all. And I really wish to get involved with that if I can and help to bring this ancient path to more people. But we also have um, a path called the St Cuthbert's Way up in the borders of Scotland and England, where you follow in the footsteps of a young monk called old Cuthbert, who walked to the island of Lindisfarne. We have so many ancient paths in the United Kingdom that I also want to bring to women and want to bring to people. And because they're ancient paths and because a lot of them are religious paths and pilgrimage paths, they do have that similar effect on me of this of these ancient stories, of the spirituality, of this connection, of this history. So I'm not sure I've, I've kind of answered your question fully there about just being the Camino. Although as I say it, you know, I just, I want to go back to the Camino again. So I, I really think it gets, I really think it gets under your skin and maybe there's something that's kind of in a way unexplainable. Yeah. Well, that, and that is a hundred percent correct because my next question is written here. Tell Tell me about your love of walking. Oh, that is what makes my soul sing. I cannot come back from a walk in a bad mood. Um, I'm very lucky to live beside Epping Forest, um, which is an ancient, it's an ancient woods. It's an ancient forest. It's got oak trees and beech trees that go way, way back. And it was a royal hunting ground hunted in by Henry VIII and by Queen Elizabeth I, and it was given to the people of London by Queen Victoria. So it's got lots of wonderful history there. You can walk for 15 miles through Epping Forest, and Epping Forest is about an hour out of London, out of the centre of London. So you can walk through Epping Forest for about 15 miles and cross about five or six roads, and you can totally feel that you are way deep in the country. And I can access Epping Forest from my home. So very often, well, I can access lots of different parts of it from my home. So often in the morning, that's where my morning walk takes me. And um, But even if I'm street walking, to uh, <laughs> that com that um, term often brings up lots of different thoughts. But <laughs> if I'm walking on the streets <laughs> around me because maybe it's pouring rain and the forest is wet and muddy, um, I still get a great joy from walking there. It's it's the energy. I mean, of course, I love nature more than anything else. So walking in nature is a different dimension. But for me, the walking is time for me. 
it's meditation time. There's a rhythm to walking. There's a wonderful meditative rhythm. It's my planning time. I often um, am using the dictaphone on my phone and I'm I'm speaking into it with thoughts and ideas. And I actually came up with the whole process behind a deck of cards using my photographs while I was on a 40-minute walk. I just talked it out into my phone as it just flowed through me. But it's also my social time. I tend to hold my meetings on foot. I tend to meet up with friends and go for a walk and then stop for a coffee or maybe a pub lunch, depending on how long a walk I'm on. But it's that connection with nature and being in the moment. I have a, I have a free seven day mindful walking, seven days of mindful walking. If anybody wants to go onto my website, scroll down on the homepage and find that it's totally free. And it gets you into using your senses when you're out there in nature because there are scents, there are feelings, there are textures, there are things to see. And I can now spot a fungi from yeah, yard way. <laughs> and uh, my, my friends laugh at me because I can find these fungi. But it's because I'm more in the moment when I'm in the woods, in the forest, in nature. And all of those things together just, oh, they just, they just fill me up. They just make me, make me feel so happy. I love the fact that you're not only encouraging walking, but talking too. And walking and talking yeah. is a form of sharing and pilgrims are great sharers, aren't they? They are indeed. I mean, you know what it's like to walk the Camino. You know, you know how many wonderful people you meet from so many countries around the world. You know what I would say the, the um, Camino is? It's a great leveler. Yeah. Because everybody's in shorts and T-shirts, walking yeah. gear, yeah. hats, you know, pole, they've got poles. You don't know whether you're talking to a nuclear scientist, um, a housewife, uh, somebody who runs their own business, somebody who is unemployed, somebody who's a student, somebody who's retired, somebody who's been ill, some, you know, somebody who's just got married. You know, I find I've come across people walking the Camino on their honeymoon. Yeah. You know, it's a huge leveler. Whereas in, in everyday life, you might meet someone and they, you might be intimidated by who that person is only because of their, what they've done or what their title is. And on the Camino, you don't know that. But people share and they talk and you meet the same, because people tend to be walking the same kind of mileage, you tend to meet the same people over and over again. On my last Camino, we met the most wonderful couple of women from um, Edmonton, Alberta, a mother, Alberta, a mother and daughter who had been um, living in different countries for a while and the daughter had come home and they were using this as a reconnection trip just to get back into knowing each other again and catching up with, the, with what they'd been doing. And uh, they were just wonderful women. I love Canadians. <laughs> they are great people. I, I know, I say it all the time. <laughs> 
Uh, and do you, you talked to then about maintaining contact. Do you maintain contact with the people that you walk with and the, and the women in your network? Uh, yeah, I mean, women are people I meet on the Camino. Some of them, yes. Um, I'd love to keep in contact with more of them, but you know, just sometimes you haven't, you haven't got all the details you should have got perhaps to do that. Funny enough, I met a lady, I spoke to her for an hour, um, at Orison on the first day out of Saint Jean. And she was only walking up to the Virgin and then backed again. And then she was walking again the next day. Yeah. And we shared, she took my business card and we're meeting up in a couple of weeks time. She's, she's from the UK. So that makes it easier. But, um, yeah, I keep in touch with those people I can. With my, the women who walk with me, there is, I think, uh, an inevitable connection because we've walked the Camino together and, yeah, that, that's a, that's a kind of given that we will keep in contact. And I'm going to put together a, a, a group at some point when I've got a few more women, which is the Sisterhood of the Camino. And perhaps there's a book there. I think there probably is about uh, the women who I've walked with. That's, um, that is extraordinary. My next question was, is there a book there? Ah, <laughs> that is incredible. <laughs> Well, that, that one's only there in the, um, <clears throat> excuse me, that one's only there in the name and the thoughts at the moment. There is a book. Well, as you know, I, I was very honored to be asked yeah. by Andrew Priestley to, you know, well, that's what's brought us together, Dan, hasn't yeah. it? Through we're best through selling book, authors. Absolutely, we are. <laughs> but I, uh, and I'm so proud to be in that book. And in fact, I was talking about that book at a networking event yesterday and lots of people came up and wanted to buy a copy. So that was nice. But I am, um, sort of two thirds of the way through a book called How Walking Saved My Life at the moment. Because for me, and, and a very good friend of mine, she actually came up with the title because she said, it did save your life. I'm scared to think where you would have gone if you hadn't really discovered walking and been able to use it as part of your recovery from your burnout and adrenal fatigue. So how walking saved my life is a mixture of my story, some little bit workbookish of some questions for people, mainly women, but maybe guys as well to to answer. And then just a bit about how they can get involved with me and what I do on all different levels, be it some of the free stuff I have, be it some of the intermediate stuff, be it the whole way to doing a Camino with me um, or whatever. I look forward so to... So hopefully that will be out next year. Sorry. I look forward to reading it. I look forward to launching it with you because you well, are fantastic. Thank you, Heather, for what you do. And thank you for taking the time to tell your story today because in many respects yours is a journey of learning and what you want to do is share your learning and spare some people from going through what you went through and I think that's a great that's a very generous thing uh, and that's a real pilgrim's journey in many respects as well because we share and we care and we talk and we, as pilgrims, like to think that we could do and give something to others. So thank you. 
Thank you, Dan. That's a lovely way of putting it. And some of that I'm aware of. And some of that, I think you just raised more light bulbs in my mind. And uh, yeah, thank you. Buen Camino. Buen Camino, Dan. My guest this week, Heather Waring. And you can find Heather via womenwalkingwomentalking.com. Aristotle, the Greek philosopher, said, In all things of nature, there is something of the marvellous. We walk to marvel. Thank you for your company this week, every week. I'm Dan Mullins, and I really appreciate your support. Life is marvellous. Until next week, Buen Camino. <laughs>